Well, welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we're covering a topic that I know we've been asked many times to do, and I'm really surprised we haven't covered it in the past. But in today's episode, we are joined by David Simmer from Netflix to talk with us about non-traditional backgrounds. David, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? For sure. Uh, so I, as you mentioned, I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. I am working in particular on GraphQL, GraphQL tooling right now uh, with my team. Um, and, uh, I've already forgotten what you asked, uh, what the second, That's okay. I mean, you've covered the, you've covered your, who you are and what you do now. What is the most, the most important part? What is your favorite happy hour beverage? All right. The, my, my favorite and what I have in front of me right now is a rye Manhattan. Ooh, that looks really really good. Fancy. Aroma and sweet. Yes. And fanciness, which is a very important part of I, I feel like when you're making a cocktail, like there's something about that is like, it needs to look good too. Like I, I always am like happier when I've made it really nice looking too. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's really good. All right. Well, let's also give introduction of today's panelists. Shirley, you want to start it off? Yes. Hi, my name is Shirley and I'm an independent creator of data visualizations. And currently I am very jealous of Dave's drink. Jim. Jim uh, Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Background. Background. All right. So if we say the word background, which I'm pretty confident we will, we will all take a drink. So I figured when we jump in and and start talking about a non-traditional background, cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Um, What does that all mean to you? I think setting a baseline is really helpful to understand that. Sure. Uh, I, one thing that came to mind right away was being self-taught, but of course, like there's such a wealth of information online, right? Everybody is just like gleeful to teach others about what they've discovered, what they've learned and how to build it. You know, like, like I learned a ton of what I know actually from gem. Like I took one of gems courses and I've read articles are written and, and all that kind of thing. So self-taught definitely but of course we're all sort of standing on the shoulders of various sized giants you know in, as we're teaching ourselves so um it's not fully ourselves but definitely being self-taught is a big part of it i think though you yourself in the sense that like you weren't going to class every day and having someone teach you everything you had to like seek those things out like where where do i go learn this how do i find gem online and and i mean that's what we do if you want to learn you go find gem online but it's still work you got to do that very hard to find surprisingly being so tall finding me online so let's say and david that's probably why you haven't gotten a promotion in a couple of years because you know you've learned from me so essentially nothing <laughs> you've learned nothing that's i shouldn't have your, have your name whenever i was interviewing yeah, that, that probably actually <laughs> knocked you down a few few points in their mind. They're like, yeah, you know, poor judgment, but, you know, he seems like a good guy, so we'll give him a chance. I think uh, when people say uh, self-taught or things like that, it has such a negative connotation. But as someone with a CS degree, most of what I learned is self-taught as well. Like, <laughs> like honestly, like CS degrees in general, or maybe I'm just speaking of my school, but I think in general, do not prepare you for the real world of coding at all. They give you like background and cheers. Ooh, cheers. cheers. They give you uh, like fundamentals and things like that on a broad swath of topics, but 
yeah, you, you get your degree and you get out into the real world and you realize it's not worth it, anything. Yeah, I mean, it's not worth nothing, but I'd say it does not help you other than making it a little easier to find your first job. So yeah, it, people who are self-taught, I'm self-taught. Like, I, yes, I have a degree, but like everything I know is from independent learning on my own. Yeah, I think that I, I will agree with a lot of what you're saying, Jim. I don't have a CS degree, but I did take a community college degree for like a two-year program that was really focused around web, like, which is cool. It was like this new thing that, you know, what does it mean to do web development? And uh, it was kind of even covering like design and web and all the things. And what I feel that that did for me was expose me to some of the things. Did I walk away from that having really all the knowledge? Absolutely not. A lot of it was on me to then go out and figure out what are, what are all the things I need to know to be successful and be a strong engineer. One thing I did really appreciate from this course was you got a two month on-site practicum or mm -hmm. internship. And that to me in that two months time, I felt like I learned more than I ever did in class. And I don't think that that's fair that I didn't learn in the class part of it. It was just in the sense that I, I had the fundamentals that had been kind of built up along that time. And then now I'm thrown in the mix of this is how you actually do all the work and deliver to a client. But I still felt like throughout my years of growing as an engineer was seeking it out myself and learning and, and growing that way. I have a question. I, I wonder hearing what all, everyone's saying, um, I wonder if it's that this is particularly true that let's say our, you know, computer science classes were more, much more like theory based. Um, and then we learn a lot more from like practical applications on our job. I wonder if this is particularly true because we're front end developers. Like I, I do think that um, some of my friends that, you know, went and went into back end uh, development. I mean, I do think they learn a lot on the job, but also I feel like their are like the computer science coursework were probably a lot more useful for them because they were like you know the database design and like the computer architecture or um, distributed systems. Um, and I wonder if it's that a lot of traditional computer science programs are theory heavy, but also much more geared towards that back end because I think historically that's just been around for longer. I'm kind of like halfway in between. I studied business as my major and then um, I did a computer science minor. So I was like in that weird place where I feel like I like knew just a bit <laughs> and then I like had major imposter syndrome on my first job because I was like oh my god everybody here knows so much more and I'm lacking because I don't have a computer science degree like a major degree and then uh, years later I find out that that's not the case that's an aside sorry but what I'm trying to say is that while I was doing my computer science classes um, I took like a side elective that was web uh, design and it, it's like this thing called a decal at our school that was like student taught which was really interesting um, so it wasn't even web development wasn't even part of the actual computer science curriculum but was something that like students thought was interesting and taught a class themselves. But I think now there's, I think there's more and more programs that also teach front end web development. That's, that's my kind of guess. That's exciting to hear your variation on that, uh, Shirley, because mine, mine feels almost kind of similar is that I went to school for something else entirely. And I happened to get a job in the audiovisual slash IT department at the college 
which is where I discovered that the school's website was ugly and horrible to use. (laughs) Change it, even though I didn't know how yet, but I, but I did so. And then while I was still on my other career track, I, I really liked working on this web stuff. And so I, I did it on my own. And then someone said, Hey, can you fix my website? And I knew just enough how to do what they needed. And, and then things went in parallel for a few years until I realized I hated what I went to school for. And <laughs> the thing is actually really fun and, and enjoyable. And I'm just going to do that instead. And yeah, but it was like even less official than yours, but it was kind of this minor on the side while I was mainly focusing on this other thing. What were you doing before moving into engineering? Sure. So I was on the track to be a chiropractor. I actually fully like went all the way through grad school and was in practice for a couple of years. Um, I, I wish I had had better career advice before I made that choice and, and, you know, got all those student loans and everything. Um, at the time where, where I figured out that I didn't want to do it anymore, which of course I could talk at hours about the reasons why. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's either it, it, I'll leave it to you to, to decide whether that's an interesting story or not, but, but it's a, it's a complicated one. But when I left, I left because it was something that I couldn't do in good conscience anymore. And when I, when I had to figure out like, what was I going to do next? There was like, well, do I go to medical school? But that's another 10 years easy and another huge pile of money. And is it too late? Maybe it's too late. I mean, I shouldn't do that. So while I was exploring those options that felt more like aligned with what I had originally had as a plan for myself, this, this, well, this website thing I could do kept creeping in. And it was actually kind of hard to get to that decision of, I don't have to do what I went to school for. It was really hard to finally say that out loud. Um, but once I did so much more freedom and you know, that kind of, that's the, like the rest is history point where, where I made the switch. I love that too. Cause I, I feel like that, that is a big barrier. You've invested so much time mm-hmm. and then having to make that decision that's tough, even though it's, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the right choice for you, or I'm, I'm assuming, <laughs> but that's a scary thing. It's like, Hey, you were interested in this one thing. You've invested so much time and now you're something else is pulling you away. And that's a, that's a scary risk because it is a risk. You don't know mm. if it's going to pay off or not. The risk, the sunk cost feeling is real. Mm. Yep. I think, uh, Shirley, I, I'd love your point about, uh, traditional CS degrees being focused on backend and algorithms and things like that, which aren't applicable or they are applicable to the front end, but not as much, I would say, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the work we do. It's important to note we're all roughly in the same age group, which is a big difference. Someone 10 years younger than us will have a very different experience. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, I won't ask how old everybody is, but from <laughs> my perspective, when I was coming up deciding on a career, kind of like like David was and trying to pick what's the path I follow being a software engineer was, it was like a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't, there's the glamor and the pay and like all the, the accoutrement we have now was not there. It was just like, I'm passionate about doing this and like, Oh, cool. If it pays, if it pays, if not, this is the career I've chosen. That is very different from the world now where mm-hmm. people graduate college and they're like, where's my six figure salary and my unlimited PTO and stuff like that. So yeah, it, I think it's important to understand like where we're coming from when we say like our backgrounds, because the world is very different now. Boot camps did not exist no. when I was I was coming up. I don't oh. think front end did when I no. first started. I, that was not a thing. I don't know when that fully became a thing, but it definitely was not when I started. 
I think web development was a concept. And I guess my first job was as like a, I think my official title was software engineer, but the understanding was that I was working on front end development. So I think by the time I was graduating in 2012, I think it was starting to become a thing. Can I, I want to share a like, <laughs> to, to Jem's point, one of my favorite, um, still one of my favorite quotes from um, my syllabus for my intro to computer science class was like, I had this like super snarky professor and there was this like two sentences in there that was like, if you are looking to get rich from this computer science degree, uh, you are looking in the wrong place. This is no longer the gold rush of, you know, the early 2000s. And if you're just in it for the money, you should go over to the business school and do investment banking like all of those other insert, you know, <laughs> some snarky. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap, that was me. I was in the business school and I was going to do investment banking. And then I was like, oh, no. And then I went and studied CS instead. So yeah, just just as an aside story, my favorite story um, about 12, 10, 12 years ago, where the state of things was. I guess too, is like, you know, we've established that we've all come at it a little differently. And, you know, maybe the non-traditional piece of it is there. I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on like what was challenging, maybe not having fortunate enough like Jem having the full, well, I guess Shirley's got the half uh, CS degree <laughs> and um, or the minor in it and, and Jem having the full, but I'm curious, like even maybe David, what did you find of the challenging pieces of maybe not having that non-traditional background? I was trying to skate around that part of it. Background, <laughs> cheers. Cheers. There, there are like challenges along the way, and then there's once once you are someone who has now has a traditional or a non traditional background, then there's like there's other challenges now. So the ones along the way, I think, are ones that I, some of you alluded to of of not having a teacher to kind of be like, here are the core principles you're going to need to know that are that are going to help you understand other things. I think I think a lot of the other things are, and this might be continuous throughout the whole process, is this feeling of inferiority. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I'm not in a, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't get a degree. Feeling like others are further along at a younger age. The colleagues, you know, who are awesome at what they do. And, you know, we made, even the people that, that are good at similar things to, to, uh, to what I'm good at, it, but they're 10 years younger. And, and then that creeps into the feeling of like, oh, imagine if I had, like if I had figured this out eight years earlier, how much farther along I'd be and, you know, how much more tech company stock I'd have, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's almost like an, a multiplier for imposter syndrome is not yeah. only, not only am I in this crowd and everyone's awesome, but also like, oh, they must be way awesomer uh, because, you know, they have these like advantages to start with or they got started earlier. Yeah, I think on the on the knowledge thing too, like not having a teacher to to set you there, and a lot of those things you can learn. But also, there's at least I found there were there were these holes, these these kind of gaps in my knowledge that I didn't figure out until seemingly later. Like Jim, you mentioned that a lot of back end concepts aren't necessarily don't necessarily translate to what we do on the front end, and that I think is totally true for like a lot of CSS and design principles. Like I've always I've always done both kind of the design and engineering halves. And so I was able to get pretty far by making things look really good, even when I didn't understand how to engineer them well. But there's things like, you know, the principle of, of you know, like an O of one lookup time if you make a map out of data structure instead of filtering through the list every time. Like a principle like that, which is, I, to my understanding, fairly basic computer science, I was a ways along before I 
sort of either noticed it or noticed that, oh, I need to know that. Oh, that's why that works so well. And, and then knew how to apply it. So yeah, you, you got kind of this haphazard path towards the core pieces that you might have gotten in place right away if someone had sat you down and said, here's the things you need to know. I think you explained it so well, David. I, yeah. I was exactly how I felt where there was like, I, I achieved it in some way, but wasn't aware of maybe a better way to do it or like that fundamental way. It's like, this is what you should be doing. Or, you know, it was just like a hacky way to get it. And you're like, it works. And it's like, but not necessarily knowing the best way. And to the imposter syndrome part of it, I'm like, I mean, it still bothers me where I'm like, well, I don't have a CS degree. And it's like, does that matter even now? I, I know I can tell you it does not matter, but I still face that day on days where I'm like, oh, I wish I had it. I think it would have maybe given me some of the knowledge a lot easier versus now I've throughout my career, I've just gone and learned it. And I've even gone back to the fundamentals to make myself stronger for that. But it was just more like I had to push myself to do that rather than continually fumble along. The fumbling was working, but it, I could probably know more of these fundamentals. I uh, really appreciate what you said about um, having someone to guide you of, um, cause I feel like a lot of the struggle in computer science is like, it's such a different mental shift and different way of thinking from how we kind of normally think about the world. And like, I feel like the biggest struggle is knowing, not knowing what you don't know, like, as in like, mm -hmm. not knowing you don't know something so that you don't even know where to look. And then I think that along with like, I think some of the I think the most important parts of learning is like making connections between like, I feel like when we're self-taught, we like make, we learn so many disparate things that are actually all interconnected, but we don't know that they're connected until we kind of like someone comes in and gives us a framework or I actually had a really interesting talk with my husband because he actually switched from mechanical engineering to data analysis. And we were talking about um, how, there were some things that he learned in uh, college, um, some statistics classes that he learned that's like, you know, really helpful now. But he, I thought he made such an interesting point of like, when he learned it then, he didn't really care about it as much because there wasn't as much of a practical application to them. So he was just like learning the concept and learning the theory for the sake of learning from a class. And it didn't really stick because there wasn't something practical to like stick it to but now that he has um the like data job and he has to use those like stats concepts now he's like okay these actually are making sense now and I was thinking about it for myself too where um this more is more on the design side but I realized that um there was like a few years where I was just like doing things without having like the framework and then once I went back into like kind of self-teach myself like the design side and like learn those frameworks that was when like the connections were made and it made so much more sense in my head than I'm guessing if I went to a class for it because then um I already had the disparate pieces in my head and that kind of that learning, that that teaching moment was just about connecting all those disparate pieces for me. Totally. It's like the scaled up version of the difference between just reading a tutorial quickly and actually yeah. through and building the project yourself. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like, but but over the span of years and and your career and like your education. Oh yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. I mean, you need to apply what you've learned. Cause I I definitely think reflect sometimes where I'm, I just said earlier, I want it. I'm like, oh, I wish I had the CS degree, 
But then there's times when I'm like, would that have helped me? I'm not sure because like if I just went into school trying to learn that all, I don't know that I would have understood why I'm learning this. Mm. I know if I went and did it now and I'm like, know why I'm learning these fundamentals, but I don't know if at that time it would have helped me. Like I, I actually might've dropped out. Like I would have been like, eh, I don't really like this. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I always think about those things. Mm-hmm. If I could go back in time, I would prefer to work as a software engineer and then get my degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exactly like you're saying, David and Shirley and Ryan, you're just getting stuff thrown at you and <laughs> you don't really see the application. But like because of the US education system, like that's how you learn. It's just beaten into you. It's like, why do I need to know cursive? Because they told you to. And like that's how it is. And that's how it is getting a degree, I think. It's just why do I need to know what a red black tree is? Because I told you so. And you're like, okay. So yeah, like I'd say 90% of the stuff doesn't stick with you. It just gives you like a taste and it gives you, so like, if it comes up again, you're like, oh yeah, I sort of know what that means, but you don't remember any of <laughs> any of the stuff because you're just throwing so much stuff and you're like, oh, what's applicable, what's not. You don't discover that till probably years into your career. And you're like, oh yeah, I probably did need that. So. If, if I had the ability and the not the no responsibilities portion of it, uh, I would totally go back and get my degree again or get a master's in, in CS with like a specialty because I would appreciate it more and I'd be able to apply all of that thing, all of those things I've learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Made me feel a little better about my decision in gem. <laughs> also, I, I think of like a benefit that I always thought about too is, you know, being in school, like you're paying all this money to be there. And you look on the other side as like, yeah, I could be getting paid to learn, right? Like as long as you have some of the like basics that you need is like, you can learn on the job too. Right. And like that applied learning is so critical. Like, I feel like that's that to me helped me. And yeah, I I got paid a lot sooner than I would have, if I took a full degree. So that was always one benefit that I play out in my head, but who knows, maybe I could, it could be that that investment could have paid off more for me. I could be making more money, right? Like you you just don't know. It's a really interesting point of like, where would we be now if we didn't study what we did or like didn't go to university for what we did? Um, But I guess this is again, like kind of hinting at the benefits of, I really appreciated the four years I had in university because I think going in as like as an 18 year old, I don't think I would know what I want to do with my life. I still don't know what I want to do with my life. And (laughs) I think that like those four years really gave me the freedom to like explore different things. And like, it really is, um, I think the privilege that, that privilege of being, of having that freedom to explore what it is I'm interested in, or more importantly, what it is that I'm not interested in. Cause I did a lot of different internships before I got to software. Like I, because I was in business school, I like did marketing internships and accounting internships and like investment banking internships. And I was like, Oh, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's how I kind of like, when I started taking CS classes, I was like, Oh, this makes sense. And I think that that kind of like secured its path actually make me much more grateful and like much more excited for what I do now because I've gone through and figured out some of the things I'm just not interested in and then and it's kind of like that um because you've experienced the negatives you appreciate the positives so much more um and I think that even when you know even as I joke around about like how much I didn't like the degree I got um I think that it's still so useful 
Um, I think because, for example, we talk a lot on this podcast about kind of like the um, the soft skills of software engineering of like that communication and like that team, like teamwork. And my business degree definitely helped me with that. And then when I went freelance and went independent, my business degree super helped me with that. It taught me that I do not want to mess with my taxes. And I went and got an accountant right away. (laughs) Um, It taught me like, you know, personal branding and gave me like strategies. So I think that that not having a traditional background, I think it really comes back to that diversity conversation we have. Um, oh, 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 background. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. I think it really is that diversity a conversation of um, just having more perspectives or different perspectives because of that path we've taken. I will say like I, I was even homeschooled as a kid, so I, I have multiple <laughs> non-traditional. Yeah, like non-traditional there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I definitely... Uh, and now the opinion of like education is great and the traditional structures are, you know, I'm sure there are bad versions of those, but usually they're, they're incredibly helpful and they're good. And to some extent, like the, the paths you take to get there, you know, life happens and things you didn't plan for and all that, but also there's elements of luck and privilege that feed into it where mm-hmm. sort of having a non-traditional background and ending like like I feel this all the time of like I get to work at Netflix now and that that feels to me like one of those came up against the odds kind of stories you know like there's there's many ways in which me not having a guided education or you know lucking essentially into a job in college that paid me to learn on the job you know without some of those factors I definitely wouldn't be here and so there's like I always definitely you know it's it's not just that that uh, that I'm brilliant and I didn't need school or or anything like that. It's that I had these these definite cases of of like fortune that set me up to to you know take another step towards eventually ending up here. Yeah, I also like too is we're talking on a podcast about this coming at. Oh, I'm trying to think of a different word for background, but you know, having different <laughs> cheers, having cheers. different uh, backgrounds, <laughs> cheers, is actually really beneficial too. We all have these things that we've learned to get there, and so you're coming at it to this, you know, working on a team, and you're bringing something different to the table. You're all, you know, in our cases, all engineers, and you know, we think about problems differently. But even more so on just the problems we're doing is like just coming at it from different walks of life. It could be where you've grown up or, you know, whatever it is, even how you've learned, it can just change your perspective on things. I think that's really healthy when, especially Mm -hmm. in like we're building products that people are using and just being able to think about those things is very beneficial. Mm -hmm. One of the best engineers I ever interviewed for another position uh, had been a elite pastry chef for a while. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I heard like how that translated into an analytic mind and, and working with people and complexity and everything like that. It was, it was, you know, she was also an excellent engineer, but that background just made it so much more, it gave her so much more insight that, that you wouldn't necessarily get if you didn't have someone with that, you know, mm-hmm. quote, weird background. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it because she also brought in pastries that, made it, <laughs> like that I, she took a position with another company, so I never got to experience that. Oh, no, that's oh. terrible. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, and, and I like the points, uh, Shirley, you're, you're, I think you're, you're alluding to the diversity of thought when you're building a strong team. Yes. Like literally there are dozens of studies out there that show the strongest, most cohesive teams are ones 
that are made up with a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds mm -hmm. that preferably don't all look the same and act the same. It's the old, uh, what's the saying? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. And that's true with problem solving too. Like if everybody went to MIT and they all graduated with honors and they all are the, the same age and the same background and ethnicity and cultural background, then they're all gonna solve problems the same way. And that mm -hmm. obviously, especially in software engineering, there are multiple ways to solve the problem and multiple approaches. If everybody had the same exact path to get to where we are, we would have the same linear view of software. And that is not it at all because software is largely a creative process and not just the science. And that's missed a lot of times when we, we think about like creating a team and traditional mm -hmm. backgrounds and all that. I, so I, I, I should mention, I do have a slightly non-traditional background in that I graduated high school. Damn, you just want to join in on like... Yes, I feel left out of this conversation. No. So, so I graduated high school. You know, I went to college to, to start getting my CS degree. I failed out in a year and a half because like I just wasn't ready. I didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. it, it just like was not for me at the time. I spent seven years working in a restaurant in Florida. And then I spent the rest of my time working in a theme park as I got my degree. So like I went from community college, so I failed out with community college and back to real university or big university. I would say I would not be the person I was today if not for that time working in a restaurant. Because when I started, I was quiet and reserved and shy. And, you know, I just like, yeah, sure, I'll do anything and help you out. And <laughs> you, you work, you learn in a restaurant very quickly. People <laughs> will take advantage of you if you are that person. So mm -hmm. I think during those years, I gained my voice and now in meetings, as Ryan will attest to, I'm the first person with an opinion and a voice, and I know how to articulate those things because I had to learn that. And I would not be where I am today if not for, I guess, that divergent path that I took earlier as well. And, and skills like that, Jim, they're not really ones that can be, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like they can just be taught, like sitting in a classroom. Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone could argue that you you are learning some of those things presenting and, and different ways in the class. But I think some of those things, you're just like in that restaurant scenario, you had to learn that or you didn't survive basically. Yeah, I, I, I do believe strongly, like hopefully if you're in a good position in life, but you, you should never regret the, the road you take to get to where you are because that I, I think by denying that and regretting that, you deny part of yourself and you're saying like, there's a part of me that I don't like. And, and that's, that's fine. There's parts we want to improve, but like we should all love ourselves and not look back with regret. And if you do look back with regret, like mm -hmm. what did you learn and what would you do differently in the future? I know that's like super mm -hmm. NorCal, super positive, hippy dippy, but like, <laughs> I, I, I really believe that like people say, Oh, I regret not doing this or I regret not getting my CS degree, but you are where you are regardless of, yeah. of the road you took. So, mm -hmm you did something right and you made some right decisions and that's what you should focus on. And you can change it too. Like, you know, going back to David, making that hard decision of like, that is a hard thing to do, but things can be changed. And I think it's, I love actually what you said, Jim, that I like the positivity on that, but it took me a while to maybe come to that understanding that it's, it's like, why, why am I worried about that? Or why is that imposter syndrome eating away at me? And like, mm -hmm. it takes time. It's not easy to just get over that, but it's true. It's like, wait, it's not the end of the world. Or if I really felt so inclined that I need a CS degree, what's stopping me? I mean, there's many things that are stopping me, like time and, and things like that. But like, the, it could be something that if I cared that much, I could go do it. There's even courses or material online that will give you those CS fundamentals. It's not like you have to go get the degree to do that. Ooh, 
speaking of those course materials, I actually wanted to add that there's also like a community benefit too. And maybe this is a bias. This is, you know, this is definitely not tested. This is just like my, <laughs> my sample sizes. <laughs> just <laughs> disclaimer. Um, but I find that a lot of the speakers that I meet are oftentimes from non-traditional backgrounds. Cheers. Oftentimes self-taught. I feel like a lot of the teachers on different platforms are often like self-taught. And I feel like that, um, I, and, and my theory is, for that is that like one, to change your career, like shift your whole career around, I think it takes a certain amount of initiative and introspection to say like, oh, I don't quite, I'm not quite enjoying where I am. And there's like this other opportunity that I think um, might suit me much better. Like that's, I think that's like a certain amount of self-awareness, that self-awareness and initiative that probably also prompts people to go out there and give those talks or, you know, teach those workshops. And I think that added on to the fact that like, when when someone is self-taught, they like know the pain of like, <laughs> you know, not being able to connect the dots, not knowing what they don't know. And I think that those are the people that teach the best because they they like there's like the battle scars there um to be like you know it wasn't just that they um got to kind of like sit and be lectured to it was like they had to go out and find all of those resources and they I feel like my theory is that they um are really really great teachers not trying to shade anybody with a traditional background that's like you know giving talks and and giving workshops and courses but I I do feel like there there is a um un, not yet proven by me but correlation there um and i think that that is a, such a great community benefit yeah we're kind of in a rare industry where everyone is so excited to to teach everybody else mm -hmm. how many other fields in which you can kind of just waltz in and everyone's like hey what do you want to know and uh, short shortly thereafter you are also now skilled and can do it yourself and can turn around and teach other people and and you know, make a living off of that. That's, that seems like yeah, it's, kind of that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Like to, we You're share right. information. We don't hold on to it and be like, oh, I've learned this skill set. I'm going to charge you a fortune for me to just do this. It's <laughs> like, let's share the wealth and knowledge before we jump into picks. I'm curious too, what advice would you all give someone? Like I even think being, you know, David going back in time and being in that case where I'm like, am I doing the right thing? I want to take this drastic shift. But like really someone coming at it from wanting to maybe really early on trying to make that decision or just like moving into software engineering that may not come from the CS background. What's cheers? What advice would you give them? Cheers. I would echo what Shirley said about the having some introspection. If you're bothered by what you're doing right now or if something doesn't sit right or you feel like you want to do something else. The, you know, and let's say you've, you've preliminary, you're, you've uh, tentatively identified that, um, that software engineering is that other thing you want to do. Um, like do a little more work on like what, what bothers you right now and, um, which of those things can you change and will becoming a software engineer change those things? Um, that's some, and, and if the answer is yes, great, then keep going. Um, I think another thing as well is, is building something. We mentioned the, the reading and tutorial versus building, uh, I think one thing that's worked for me really well is um, if you try to look at uh, like there's the the front end engineering handbook, uh, something that's updated every year, and there's an amazing flowchart in that that shows just everything you need to know as a front end engineer. And it's, 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> 70 different huge branches, all of which have their own huge subject areas. And if you look at that and go like, oh no, I have to learn that, like you, you might not get started. So instead of that, you know, wherever you're at, you've learned some, you know, for me early on, like I, I love CSS and then I knew a little bit of jQuery. And so I started building with that and take like the, th the thing, you know, or the thing you're learning, but also hook it to a specific idea. So just like, I don't know, I wrote, you know, this kind of code. Okay. Well there, I, I did the tutorial lesson, you know, that's fine. But if you have an idea, whether it's your own idea or trying to copy something else. You know, like in, in design, a lot of people will do the, okay, I'm going to redesign the Craigslist homepage. I'm going to redesign mm -hmm. Facebook. Mm -hmm. That can be a really good exercise of take a specific mm -hmm. idea and then use a specific piece of tech you're trying to learn and use that specific kind of tech to build your specific little idea. And that is a great way to then get into the weird corners of the, of the tech you're trying to learn or of the design you're trying to produce. And when you come out of that, you'll have built something that might be good, might not, but you will, you will have discovered either like this particular framework that I was trying is great. And I'm going to build more stuff with it. Or you might realize actually, you know, I I'm at the level already where I realize this isn't the right tool or isn't the tool I like to use. So I'm going to go try something else next time. Uh, I think that's really a helpful pattern. If you're trying to like skill yourself up, if you're trying, if you know, this is what you want to do and you want to learn more, um, try, try to get a little more specific as, as you learn and you'll, you'll find that you, um, you'll probably gain better knowledge and more applicable knowledge than if you try to absorb just the huge spectrum of front end knowledge all at once. I think another thing I was thinking about too, is if you're thinking about it in those early stages and you're, you're not quite sure reaching out to people. Cause like, as we said, is like, we're, we're very happy to share and teach and not everyone's going to respond, but like, there's enough people that you can go and try and hit up and just say like, I would love to hear more about your role and like what you do. People are usually very open to that. And it's scary. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's like, you're worried, like, ah, oh, I got to reach out to this person, but what's the worst that can happen. They don't respond or they say no, that's it. But like, you could get some time with them and just ask them in, in 20, 30 minutes, you can learn a lot about is this right for me? And what's this person's job? And I think like too often people don't do that. I think that that's a really helpful tool. Ooh, I'm going to add a caveat of, but do your homework first of like, you know, uh, like get, get all of the basic questions answered by like the myriad of different resources out there. And then um, when you're choosing a person, choose them because you have very specific questions for them not not just like how do i get it how do i start coding like that i think is a way to annoy someone <laughs> yep good point yeah no, thank you for adding that piece of advice Shirley. that's really well put yeah, of course I, I get i get this i get this a lot so that's <laughs> typing the phrase can i pick your brain just doop, 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 just delete that right there and be specific like yeah. What, yeah. what are you wanting to know <laughs> Yeah, I also wanted to add, um, just thinking about back to my like 21 year old self, like that was felt like it was the end of the world if I couldn't successfully get into software, like get a software job, and you know, with my business background or something. I just want to say, like, <laughs> especially when we're young, I think that um, I, I think when I was in college, I just thought that the first thing that I did after college was what I was going to keep doing for like, you know, 45 years until retirement or something like that, where it just felt like, I don't know, I feel like we, as a society, we kind of like, 
we overemphasize the like you go to college and you learn something and that's what you need to to like spend your life doing I, I mean this is something that you know David you like touched on it, it feels like there's such a big risk and I think there is a big risk but at the same time especially when we're a bit younger um, I don't think it's a bad thing to try something whether that's software or something else for a few years and see if it works out or not. And if it works out, that's great. Um, and if it doesn't, then you just try something and you like add that skill set and add that tool to your background. And you just, that just makes you so much more interesting as a person and, and as a job candidate um, later down the line. And, and I, I, I say that with like kind of an asterisk of like, I, I think that's if you are in a fortunate situation where you don't have to worry too much about finances. And like, you know, if you do the career switch, like, you're not like it's not detrimental to your like personal finance if it yeah. is then please ignore this advice <laughs> well and I think that's it too is like this is coming from privilege of like yeah if you can afford to do that then yeah. yes here's how that's a valid point yeah when I when I made the switch uh by the way I it was it was hard I didn't have the I wasn't so young that I'd like by that time like I had bought a house and I was mm. and like I had these other sort of, you know, the, the, like the bills and the responsibilities that I, I couldn't just like sell everything mm -hmm. and, and, you know, set up without it. You know. So for instance, one point where I, I was working for a small company, uh, back in Minnesota where I lived and I just was getting antsy and I wanted to have my own name on some things and have a change of scenery and different projects. And, and so I wanted to set out on my own, but like I said, I had these bills and responsibilities, so I couldn't just quit and see what mm -hmm. happened. So I started mm -hmm yes to every freelance job that came along um, and started like aiming for bigger ones. Um, so I had a long stretch of not much sleep, which I don't recommend because I did that. I was able to do that for a year and a half solid and then I burned out hard, but that's another episode. But I said yes to everything that came along. And finally, there was one job that was about three months of work, you know, that was runway essentially. And I, I not only would it let me jump to being freelance, but also I couldn't take it on if I didn't quit my day job. And that was the point finally where I said, okay, this is it. And it let me make that particular shift. Um, at the time I switched careers altogether, um, you know, I had as well, like the support I needed around me where I guess maybe it's fortunate. I just wasn't making that much money anyway. And the thing I was doing originally, so <laughs> it makes it easy, <laughs> but definitely I had, I had support. I had a safety net around me that was, that was able to do that. And I even had some classmates, uh, from chiropractic school who ended up with the same disillusionment as I did, who wanted to make that change and couldn't by the time they were there because, you know, they, they hadn't started with web designing college and now they had a family and kids mm -hmm. to support and they owned yep. a, there were other factors that didn't let them do that. So I, mm -hmm. I always acknowledge that as well of like making that switch as a risk, mm -hmm. there are sort of modulate that risk, but definitely for for your case maybe it's it's just too much risk and that happens i'm i'm lucky again that that uh, somehow i was able to get around that risk all right well that puts us at a great spot to jump into picks in each episode of the front end happy hour podcast we love to share things that we found interesting and hopefully you do too jim you want to start it off for my pick i only have one because I, i've had a busy month and i just haven't been doing much creative things but of course my one pick is a good one for my Valley Silicon pick, that's the part of the show where I pick things that are too ridiculous and too expensive and they only exist because, well, we get paid way too much money here in Silicon Valley. You know, this pick actually isn't too bad because it solves a real problem that I have. Because, you know, you get out 
Uh, you go to a restaurant now, you pick up the food and you got to take it home. And specifically, I'm talking about burritos, which I love. I love burritos, tacos, all any sort of Mexican food. I am all over it. Love it all. Uh, but, you know, the burrito is sometimes too hot and it's too messy and it just doesn't work. But this pick here is a burrito pop twistable burrito holder. Yes. You didn't even know that you needed this until I shared it with you. So you're welcome, uh, friend and half hour regulars. For the low, low price of $33, you can get a plastic burrito holder that you can twist and it slowly pushes up the burrito, much like a uh, toothpaste tube or, uh, I don't know, I can't think of a better analogy. Surely. <laughs> Wait, but this is the low, low early bird price of $33 yes. because apparently the retail price is $50. But this solves a real problem, like the real problem of how do I keep my burrito warm and how do I eat it without it getting everywhere? And for $33, you can solve that problem. You know, tin, this is... tin foil doesn't work for you? No, no, it's still good because you, you still have to unwrap the burrito and it's still messy. So, you know, this this is a real problem, Ryan. How dare you? know what's you? really funny is I have seen this. Like, I don't remember when, but I have not like physical, but I've seen the this page before. And I remember thinking it was ridiculous then. I'm still going to stand by. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous now. Of course it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to also say that in the videos and the GIFs, it still looks like you have to unwrap your own tinfoil. It looks like you have to unwrap yeah, it yourself. Yeah, because you're still getting the burrito in the tinfoil. So to that point, you're still taking the, like I went and bought the burrito that came in the tinfoil. I'd have to unwrap it, yeah. throw it in this container. So yeah, you're correct. But now you have a portable <laughs> burrito holder, but you can unwrap it all the way, put it in the burrito holder, and then you have no problem. You just have to clean out the burrito holder afterwards. You're not going to look ridiculous carrying this container to <laughs> oh, like Mexican people, restaurant. people will think uh, you're walking through the park eating burrito. They'll be like- With the thermos. Yeah, that, that's a thought leader right there. That person's ahead of the curve. I bet their burrito is nice and warm. They're not spilling it anywhere. If there's any beans or anything that spills out, it's in the bottom of the burrito. You dump that out. You eat those at the end. You know, it's- it's all around brilliance. I, I'm jealous. I didn't think of this. I keep oscillating. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Between like, oh, it's actually pretty awesome. No, it's stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. Please do not encourage Jen <laughs> on this. <laughs> all, all of the things I pick are usually ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the real tragedy is if you're eating and the beans still fall out outside of the holder anyways. <laughs> That'd be the real tragedy. Oh. That's when you need to buy the burrito net. So it goes around the burrito. No, that's, that's not a real thing. Multiple sizes that match the size of the burrito you're about to have Ooh, ooh, that's v2 yeah, now you're yeah, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. uh so that's my pick uh i forget who shared with me with me uh, i think it was on twitter if you tag valley hashtag valley silicon on twitter i will see it because I'm, I'm pretty much the only one that uses that hashtag which is kind of weird in the in this world of a billion people and a million tweets that's still the only use of that hashtag so go ahead and tag everything and send it to me because i get a good laugh out of them all right, Shirley, what do you have? I come on this podcast just for Gems Valley Silicon. <laughs> Thank you. So my first pick is if you are already here um, working front end, and if you want to go into even more of a niche of data visualization, we welcome you. Um, and I have uh, two picks here. Um, the it's both from my co-author Nadi Bremer. Um, she has a website called VisualCinnamon.com. And she has two really great blog posts, one from 2017 about her journey into data visualization, where she kind of like 
shows because she does like beautiful beautiful work beautiful data visualization work but she in this blog post kind of like she she shows you what she calls her like ugly ducklings of like all of the iterations that she went through all of the projects that she never published and and basically her like you know um how she got to where she is now and then she has another one, a second one from 2020 called Learning Data Visualization, which is kind of like about her path into data visualization, all of the different resources um, that she used to get into data visualization. So, you know, on uh, this episode uh, about non-traditional backgrounds, oh, cheers getting into something new. Um, if you are ever interested in data visualization, I highly recommend those two blog posts. Um, and then I have another one. Uh, and it is a YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy. And I uh, and my husband and I have been like really enjoying this YouTube channel. It is essentially two hosts. One is a licensed therapist and the other one, um, he calls himself an unlicensed filmmaker. And every single episode, what they do is they break down um, a, you know, a uh, movie uh, from a uh, they they choose like a like a theme usually around like relationships or and something psychology related and then they'll talk about that from the therapy perspective and then they'll also kind of talk about like how the filmmaking emphasizes this this um it's a very very interesting um YouTube channel uh, we've been like watching it for a few months and honestly it's kind of been like a free couples therapy so highly recommend <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Nice. All right, David, what do you have? I have, uh, because I was so excited about this, I have four picks today. Nice. Um, I, I've never heard you mention a limit on picks, so I feel like... I don't I'm... think we've ever... I don't know what the most is, but yeah, we don't really have a limit, so you're good to yeah. go. I have four uh, varieties of picks. So I have a music pick. Uh, nice. This album is by Peter Gregson, G-R-E-G-S-O-N. It's Bach Cello Suites Recomposed. Um, so it's, this happens to be great coding music. It's just beautiful as well. I originally heard one of the pieces on the soundtrack to the HBO series, the young Pope. Um, mm. it is like Bach cello suites are great. Anyway, but this takes them in, in new and weird directions, sometimes dramatically different and sometimes subtly different, but it's a beautiful album to listen to. And I just can't recommend it enough. The second one is a cocktail related pick which has seemed appropriate here the aviary cocktail book so the aviary is this bar in chicago um that was started by the same crew who uh runs alinea the restaurant um it's it's an incredible book you need to buy equipment to make most of the drinks in there <laughs> so it's it's an undertaking but it's it's a gorgeous book by itself um, and everything in there I'm sure is delicious. There's also a companion to it called zero, which is all non-alcoholic cocktails, but they're not just juice. They're also amazing in all the ways that the regular cocktails are. So I can't recommend those highly enough. My wife and I have a plan of making one thing from one of these books each month because there's, there's going to be like work that goes into it, but, uh, the results are, are incredible. The third thing is, uh, Matt Levine's money stuff newsletter. He's a writer at Bloomberg. I'm by no means like a financial, financially knowledgeable person, but his writing is so funny and informative at the same time. If you could have someone who wrote like him in any subject, you'd probably enjoy it and learn a lot from him. And, uh, and his newsletter is like one of the few newsletters I actually subscribe to, much less financial newsletters. The last one is Rochelle's Cheesecakes. 
So this one is is uh, a small business run by a friend of mine named Victor Harris. He's in Oakland. It is by far the best cheesecake I've ever had. You can get it delivered anywhere in the in the Bay Area. Um, he's he's amazing. His cheesecake is just stellar. As a resident of the town, I will check this out because I am a cheesecake critic. These look <laughs> delicious. And plus one on Matt Levine. Uh, I, I am such a huge fan of Matt Levine. And his writing is brilliant. His, his ability to break down like arcane topics of finance into digestible and entertaining bits is like the, the work of a genius. Like, I know it, it's weird to nerd out about like finance stuff, but he, he breaks it down and makes it so approachable. It, it's definitely worth reading. He's got a recurring theme of like maybe absolutely everything is securities fraud. Everything's securities violations. Everything is. <laughs> and it's or fraud. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I have two picks. I have had one that I uh, was reading a blog post the other day on, I've noticed like GitHub does their automatic, like if you create a new repo, now your default uh, branch is main, which is great, but it doesn't change all your pre-existing repositories. So I found a great blog post. It was super simple to, to go back and change all your branches from master to main. And I felt like that was a really easy read. So I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes. And then I, I figured I would share a newsletter interview that I did called Dads in Tech. I was interviewed about like being a dad and like the questions are really good and related to like tech things. And it, it was a fun little interview I did. So I'll link to that as well. I think it was just released in like mid-February. So um, I'll share that. Well, before we end the episode, David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was really great hearing your insights, especially on this topic. Where can people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter. I'm underscore Simmerer, S-I-M-M-E-R-E-R, uh, or my website, Simmer.OOO. Uh, that was a domain extension that is relatively new. And I was, I, when I grabbed it, I was really excited that anyone who ever sort of had to say the name of my portfolio website would have to say Simmer.OOO. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at FrontNHH. You can check out our website at FrontNHHappyHour.com. You can listen to us on really whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Any last words? Background. Background. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.